The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It's 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here's your top five at five. The market's record run rolls on with the Dow crossing 36,000 for the first time. But could the Fed's latest policy decision today take some pressure off that gas pedal? Election night surprises in two closely watched gubernatorial races. We'll dive into the results, at least what we know now, and what they could signal for the midterm elections. And breaking overnight, no deal. Deer workers rejecting a contract proposal, choosing to remain on strike. And shares of Bed Bath & Beyond soaring as the company unveils an overhaul to speed up growth. And consumers feeling the squeeze at the grocery store over jumping food prices. Why the CEO of one food giant says more pain may be ahead. It's Wednesday, November 3rd, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Courtney Reagan in for Brian Sullivan today. Let's get you a check on how your money and the global markets are setting up their day. Take a look at the futures and where we are indicated to open. If we were to open right now, the Dow Jones Industrial Average would be down by a little bit more than seven points. The S&P 500 off just a hair. And the Nasdaq, though, holding out of some positive territory, at least right now, above 12 points here. And, of course, the Dow closing above that 36,000 mark for the first time in trade yesterday. And that marks the sixth 1,000-point milestone of this year after the Dow hit 31,000 back in January. The S&P and the Nasdaq also hitting new highs, marking the third trading session in a row where all three indexes set new closing records. Now, key on investors' watch list today, the conclusion of the Fed's latest policy meeting. Jay Powell and the central bank expected to announce an end to its bond buying program and potential clues on when it may raise those interest rates. Ahead of that, let's take a look at Treasuries. Let's see where we are on the 10-year yield. Currently, we are sitting at 1.524%. The two-year is at 0.454%. We also want to get you a look at the energy markets, though. Oil prices under pressure following new data showing a big build in supplies in the United States. WTI crude under pressure here by the tune of about 2%. So WTI crude is sitting at 82 spot 38. Brent crude is also lower to the tune of 1.6%. And that price is 83 spot 33. So those getting ever closer. And a quick check in on cryptos. Bitcoin, just amazing the run that this has had. Currently, though, it is sitting just a tad lower at 62,938 down by less than a percent, about three quarters of a percent. Let's go worldwide now. Stocks in Asia ending the day in the red. South Korea's cost be the biggest loser, falling more than 1%. Taking a look at early trade in Europe, it's mostly flat to start the session across that region. And now turning to some of your morning's top stories, including that breaking news overnight on the ongoing Dear Worker Strike. Silvana Hineo is here with the details. Silvana, good to see you. Hey, Courtney, good to see you. Yes, yeah, so more than 10,000 deer workers will remain on strike after rejecting the latest contract offer from the farm and construction equipment maker. The vote on this latest proposal was much closer than a previous vote, with 45% of members voting in favor of the six-year deal, compared to 10% for the initial plan. 
This latest contract offer included 10% pay increases for some workers, as well as a ratification bonus and making workers eligible for health insurance sooner. Meanwhile, the CDC has given final approval for the immediate distribution of Pfizer's COVID vaccine for kids 5 to 11 years old. As a result, vaccinations for kids in the age group are expected to begin immediately. The approval comes after the FDA granted emergency approval for the shots on Friday. The Biden administration has said it has secured enough of Pfizer's vaccine to inoculate all 28 million 5 to 11 year olds in this country. And shares of Mondelez are jumping this morning after it topped expectations with its third quarter results. The company also raising its annual sales forecast amid a rebound in sales across China, India and Brazil. Speaking with Closing Bell yesterday, CEO Dirk Vandeput says he expects a number of the company's products to be more expensive next year. We're looking at input cost inflation of about 6% for next year. Um, as a consequence, you are going to see um, uh, price increases. Um, we, at the moment, are looking at uh, starting off 2022 with about a 7% price increase in the U.S. And then we'll have to see what happens to those different costs uh, during the year if another price increase would be needed. Vandeput cites higher commodity prices and transportation shortages as part of the reason for the higher product prices. Courtney? Very interesting watching those prices. Yeah. We'll continue to track them pretty Absolutely. closely. Silvana, yeah. thank you very much. Sure. Well, turning to the broader markets now, as we saw the Dow hit yet another record high yesterday. Joining us is Ryan Payne, president of Payne Capital Management. Ryan, it's good to have you with us. I understand you look at the market holistically. You've got some fundamental and technical reasons to be optimistic, even if some sentiment readings are telling you otherwise. Talk me through your theories here. Yeah, Courtney, it's kind of remarkable because we just had a huge month in stocks. Um, you know, we saw the Nasdaq almost up uh, over over five percent. You saw the major indices hitting new highs, like you mentioned, the Dow again hitting another new high. So you would think the animal spirits would be out right now, uh, but we're really seeing the opposite. You saw sentiment come down last week. Anecdotally, I can just tell you with our client base for the thousand families we manage, uh, you know, people aren't that bullish right now. They're all waiting for that next shoe to drop. And I think if you start looking at the economic data, um, you're seeing all these issues with supply chains right now. Um, we're looking at, you just mentioned a strike's happening with labor costs are a big issue. Uh, companies have big issues right now when it comes to their overhead. But what you're seeing on these earnings calls, and it's been a phenomenal quarter for profits, right? I mean, so far, you've seen over 80% of companies beat on the top and bottom line, but they're all saying the same thing. Uh, we're going to raise prices on you, the consumer. And what you're seeing is you would think the if prices are going up that consumers would buy less, but we're seeing the exact opposite right now. You know, consumers are willing to buy at the higher prices, and you'll have what I call maybe a consumer who's more price insensitive than you've seen in the past. Mm-hmm. And it kind of makes sense. You know, we were locked down with COVID. People have these animal spirits right now. They're sitting with tons of cash. We have over, you know, two, almost two trillion dollars since before the pandemic sitting in cash right now that people didn't have before the pandemic and wages are going up. So people have money to spend. And I argue here that could drive the economy for a long, long time. And that's what's driving profits. And that's probably going to keep driving the stock market higher. I don't think you're going to see a big correction like a lot of people are fearing. I just want to go back to your point about consumers. Right now, it does seem like the consumer is pretty strong and they're able to take some of these price increases in stride. But I can't imagine that that continues forever if they're not seeing a subsequent increase in their wages or other prices 
even out for them. At some point, they're going to be more discerning and make some choices. How will we know when to prepare for that and what that means for the ripple effect across the economy if two-thirds to three-quarters of our GDP is still consumer spending? Yes, right. We're always depending on the fact that Americans love to spend, right, more than anyone in the world. Um, and I think it comes down to productivity, right? The question becomes, are we going to go to a stagflation like we had in the 70s, where prices of goods and services exceeded what wages went up by right over that decade? And that's where productivity is going to be a big deal. Uh, companies are spending a lot of money on productivity, trying to be as productive as possible, because we are going into a labor shortage, right? There, there's no getting around it. You look at the amount of jobs that are open right now and the amount of Americans that can fill those jobs, it's a big, big problem. Mm -hmm. So you are going to see wages continue to rise. But the question is, are wages going to rise faster than uh, you know, the price of goods and services? Right. And in the short term, yes, I think that is the case. And you're seeing that. And that's why you're seeing the fact that, you know, again, profits are fantastic. People can take these price hikes. But how long that can last is we're going to have to do with productivity and can the prices of consumer goods and services come down, you know, stay in check with what, what labor costs are? And I think that's all going to come down to innovation, which you, know, okay. you should see a lot of over the course of the next decade. And so help our investors make some money, position their portfolios. It sounds like you're optimistic. You feel good about the consumer. You feel good about the markets in general. But does that mean the rising tide will lift all boats or do we need to be discerning when it comes to putting some money to work here in this market? Well, I think lately you haven't had to be discerning at all, <laughs> whether it's Bitcoin, NFTs, whether it's growth stocks, value stocks. You really have had the all asset rally here unless it's gold uh, or bonds. Right. Interest rates have been going up. But I think that trend could continue here in the short term because, again, there's just so much cash, Courtney, sitting on the sidelines and it's going to continue to funnel in this market. But if you go back to 99, 2000, right, when the tech bubble burst, you did have pockets that were performing bubbles, and you have the same thing right now. I mean, if you look at growth tech valuations, they're historically high right now. Bitcoin, your guess is as good as mine. I don't think there's any intrinsic value there, but the price continues to rise. Uh, so at some point, these bubbles probably will burst. In the meantime, those cyclical stocks, like small cap stocks, have really broken out here in the course of the last week or so. Um, anything that's very, very sensitive to the economy, if you look at financials, energy, again, small cap stocks, mm -hmm. you want to own in your portfolio. Valuations are a lot cheaper. They're more tied to the economy. And if we do see some of these bubbles burst, that's where you're going to see money go. That's exactly what you saw when the tech bubble burst back in 2000. You know, energy prices did phenomenal over that time frame, even when tech stocks were going down. Mm -hmm. Small cap stocks did really well. Financials did really well. You could see a repeat of that here, and you're already seeing money funnel into those other areas of the market. Got it. Ryan Payne, thank you for joining us here with your thoughts. Thanks, Courtney. We're just getting started. When we come back, your morning's big money movers, including shares of Activision Blizzard, getting hit hard on a tough outlook. Plus, President Biden sending the latest signals on his pick for Federal Reserve chairman and whether Jay Powell may keep that job. And later, Seema Modi breaks down fresh figures on Americans' holiday travel plans and how the work-from-home lifestyle could factor into it all. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. 
Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories of the morning. First up, Bed Bath & Beyond. Shares are surging up more than 60% as the retailer says it's ahead of schedule on its stock buyback program. It also announced a partnership with Kroger to have many of its most sought-after baby and home products available in grocery stores and on Kroger.com starting next year. Bed Bath & Beyond has one of the most shorted stocks that we should point out and is popular among those meme stock investors on Reddit. The company CEO will join Stock on the Street at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. And Stock 2, Activision Blizzard, third quarter earnings beat forecast, but the outlook for the holiday quarter is short of analyst expectations. The company is also delaying the launch of two new games, citing recent leadership changes at its Blizzard Entertainment Unit. Several of those changes came after Activision Blizzard was sued in July over allegations of gender discrimination, harassment, and retaliation. Shares are down by 12%. And finally, Lyft. This stock is jumping after third quarter results beat forecast. Lyft says that both drivers and riders continue to return as night and weekend rides improve. Airport trips nearly tripling in the quarter, which Lyft says may be a signal that business travel is returning. Maybe. Don't miss Lyft president and co-founder John Zimmer in a first on CNBC interview on Squawk Box at 8.45 a.m. Eastern. Well, still on deck, a beer with ingredients that are simply out of this world. Literally. A look at the morning's top trending stories. you got to stick around. That's coming up next. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back. A new survey from Deloitte is shedding light on what the holiday travel season may look like in this country. And the shift from the the shift to shift to the work from home lifestyle could actually play a pretty major role in just how long Americans hit the road. I was wondering about that. Seema Modi joins us now with some key findings. She's got the answers. Hi, Seema. Hey, good morning, Courtney. Yeah, that's right. COVID did change travel plans last year, and Americans are now planning to make up for lost time this holiday season with three in 10 Americans planning to travel over the next two months, over half of travelers say they expect to spend about the same on travel as they did in 2019, while 20 percent will spend significantly more. Higher income households are budgeting as much as $5,000 for a holiday trip. That is much higher 
than previous years. Budgets are expanding at a time when prices are on the rise. Hotel rates are up 40 percent compared to the same time last year as labor shortages push rates higher. But demand does seem to be strong, at least for leisure travel. Hilton CEO last week said weekends are averaging 80 to 90 percent occupancy levels. And Marriott, its big competitor, will likely paint a similar picture around leisure travel when it reports earnings in just a couple hours. Now, remote work is allowing vacationers to take longer trips, another positive for hotels and home rental platforms like Airbnb. The Deloitte survey found that more than half of travelers will add three or more days to their trip because they have the ability to work remotely. One of the perks of being able to dial in via Zoom, Court. That Seema, when I was looking at airline prices and wondering if like the days that always seem like the hot travel days to either leave in time for Christmas or come back to wherever you came from and if those prices would sort of loosen up because people had more flexibility. But for me, no luck yet. Uh, will this holiday season, Seema, be enough, though, to get hospitality back to pre-pandemic levels as you were talking about? Travelers are saying that they expect to spend at least what they did in 2019, if not more. Is that good news for the sector? Yeah, yes and no, Courtney. For the hotels that are located in beachy, warmer climates, yes, this is likely going to be a very strong holiday season. But two things need to happen in order to see a full recovery in hospitality. One is a rebound in international tourism. Starting next week, the U.S. does lift restrictions on fully vaccinated foreign travelers. So we'll be watching the bookings numbers to see just how quickly we see a rebound in foreign travel to the United States. And the other one is, of course, business travel. We were expecting a rebound in in corporations sending more of their employees across the nation, consultants, sales associates post Labor Day. That did not happen because of the Delta variant concern. So now the question is whether business travel starts to rebound at the start of 2022 and how quickly that can take place. And, of course, that will be key for hotels that are located in big cities like New York, L.A., and San Francisco that have that that footprint in these cities that really uh, rely on conferences and corporate travel. Absolutely. I was thinking that, that really, you know, New York will be fully, fully back to the full swing of normalcy once business travel returns and sort of see that, you know, that momentum in, in Midtown. Thank you very much, Seema. Well, let's get a check on this morning's other headlines, including some high-profile Election Day results. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest. Good morning, Philip. Hi, Courtney. Good morning. Yeah, big election night in America. NBC News is projecting that Eric Adams will take the reins from Bill de Blasio to become the 110th mayor of New York City. The victory makes Adams the second black man to be elected to that role. Adams, a Democrat, is the Brooklyn borough president and a former police captain. And in Boston, the Associated Press is projecting that Democrat Michelle Wu has become the first woman and person of color to be elected as mayor. This ends the city's 200-year history of electing white men. Minneapolis is keeping its police department. Voters rejected a proposal last night to replace the city's police with a new Department of Public Safety. The measure was part of a push to rethink policing in the wake of George Floyd's murder a year and a half ago. Supporters said it would have reduced the role of armed police in situations involving mental health and substance issues, while opponents took issue with the vague wording of the measure. Finally, the Braves struck first in Game 6 of the World Series. Jorge Soler sent that ball out of Minute Maid Park to give Atlanta the 3-0 lead. Max Fried cooked on the mound while Freddie Freeman put runs on the board for the Braves. And they were up 7-0 on the Astros with one out to go. The 0-2. 
Left side, Swanson to first. That's it. You heard Joe Buck there. Atlanta wins, becoming world champions for the first time since 1995. It's the Braves' fourth title in franchise history. And Jorge Soler, the guy who hit that moonshot, he was named World Series MVP. That's it from here, Courtney. Back to you. Very cool. I love to see sort of victorious sports moments. Awesome. Thank you very much, Philip. All right. Let's get to today's top trending stories, which include a beer that's been to infinity and beyond, some pulp, some pulp NFTs, and a Chinese whiskey distillery. Silvana now is here with more. Silvana, how are you? Hey, Courtney. Yeah, so Sam Adams is releasing the final frontier of beer. The spirits company will be releasing their spacecraft IPA, which was brewed from 55 pounds of hops that traveled into space on the Inspiration4 launch back in September. The beer is already sold out for online delivery, but will be available on tap on November 16th, a date that coincides with the Leonid meteor shower. And Quentin Tarantino is getting into NFTs. The cult movie director will be auctioning off seven uncut scenes from Pulp Fiction as secret NFTs, a type of token that focuses on privacy. The collectibles include handwritten scripts from the film, as well as exclusive audio commentary from Tarantino himself. And Diageo breaking ground on its first malt whiskey distillery in China. The $75 million facility will produce the company's first ever China origin whiskey. The move is part of the company's broader growth in China, as Diageo says China is the largest market for alcoholic beverages in the world. Courtney, that beer sounds pretty cool. I was going to say that the beer beer from outer space sounds right? very, very cool. I assume that the Chinese whiskey will hopefully taste exactly like it, it does here. But I wonder Probably. if it tastes different with the carbonation from the right? beer once, once it's been in space. Like, how do you make sure... When you crack it open, it doesn't just... Exactly. Like, I wonder what's going to be exactly like, what happens. Like, does it just like go all over the place? Right, or... right. And the <laughs> NFTs is really interesting as, as you were going through that story. I mm-hmm. thought, okay, this one I can get a little bit more on board with. If you've got sort yeah. of some interesting scripts Ex- and some exactly. exclusive audio. Mm-hmm. But if you, if you purchase that NFT, then do you keep that for yourself or do you make it public domain? Because once it's public domain, right. then... I, for me, I mean, it, it loses, loses the value, right? right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, it's, I think it's really cool, like you just said, that the exclusivity of having Quentin himself, you yes. know, have some commentary in there. That's pretty cool. And that's what I've always thought the exclusivity yeah. is with art. But then when the NFTs came onto the scene and it had to, you know, do with the sort of owning the original, right. but then it was available to others, the value there. Exactly. Yeah. Me, you know. Yeah, exactly. But I agree. Anyway. Well, yeah. Savannah, thank you very much. <laughs> you got it. For being here with us. Well, still on deck, TikTok facing yet another C-suite shuffle amid a growing wave of Chinese tech execs heading for the exit. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. We'll be right back. Election night shockers as Democrats assess the damage following two closely watched governor's races. Jimmy Petakoukis is here to break down what it could all mean for the party heading into the midterms. In Washington, Democrats looking to tack on some relief for high tax states to the president's social spending bill. And the growing pain at the grocery stores showing no signs of letting up. We dive into when or if prices may start to come back from record highs. It's Wednesday, November 3rd. And you're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. 
Welcome back. I'm Courtney Reagan in today for Brian Sullivan. Let's get you a check on how your money and investments look right now as we're halfway through the 5 a.m. hour. Stock futures are just a bit mixed here, but just hardly so in either direction. The S&P 500 is down just a fraction. Dow Jones Industrial is off almost nine points and the Nasdaq higher by almost 17 points. The market's fall rally, though, did continue yesterday with the Dow closing above that 36,000 mark for the first time. The S&P and the Nasdaq also hitting new highs. We have to talk about one of your morning's big money movers, though. Bed Bath & Beyond shares surging after the company announced strategic changes to speed up growth. Remember, they're already in a transformation plan. And that includes a partnership with the largest grocery chain in the United States, Kroger. Bed Bath's gains spilling over into some of the retail trading crowd's favorite names. So shares of Bed Bath & Beyond higher by 61%. Look at GameStop up by 5%. AMC up by almost 6% this morning. And BlackBerry higher by 4%. All of these names getting a boost in the pre-market. We'll see if they can hold on to it when the market opens. We should note there is a pretty big amount of short interest for sure in Bed Bath & Beyond, which also had dictated some short squeezes in the past, even before it became one of those Reddit names. Oh, now on to some of your morning's top stories. Silvana Hanau is back with those. Silvana. Hey, Corey. Yep, I'm back. All right. So the founder of TikTok's parent company, ByteDance, has announced he's stepping down as its chairman. Sources tell CNBC the move by Jiang Ming comes as the company continues to reorganize its business. He announced his resignation as CEO in May saying he would move into a strategy role. Sources add that Lee Ang Rubo, who took over as CEO, will now serve as chairman. ByteDance declined to comment on the matter. President Biden is shedding new light on when he may name his pick for Federal Reserve chairman. Speaking amid the COP26 summit in Glasgow, the president said he'd be making an announcement on the matter fairly quickly. Biden didn't specify if he planned to renominate current Fed chair Jay Powell, whose term expires in February. And Democrats are preparing an agreement that would repeal a cap on the amount of state and local taxes homeowners can deduct. The move, which would repeal a Trump-era policy, would suspend the $10,000 cap on the so-called SALT deduction for five years as part of the broader spending package Democrats are trying to hammer out. But more liberal members of the party are criticizing the potential move, with Senator Bernie Sanders calling the move beyond unacceptable. Courtney? A lot of other people believe that the move the other way is beyond unacceptable. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I guess that's what makes politics in this country. Savannah, Mm -hmm. thank you very much. You got it. Well, now on to more politics. Election Day and some developments overnight in few races. In Virginia, NBC News is projecting that Republican candidate Glenn Youngkin has won the governor's race, defeating Democrat Terry McAuliffe. Now, McAuliffe spoke at his election night event before the call and has yet to concede. Meanwhile, a surprise... Here in New Jersey, as incumbent Democratic Governor Phil Murphy finds himself virtually tied with Republican challenger Jack Tortorelli with the outcome too close to call in a race Democrats had long been confident about. For more on the key takeaways from Election Day, let's bring in Jimmy Pethokoukas, economic policy analyst at the American Enterprise Institute and a CNBC contributor. Jimmy, thank you so much uh, for being here with us. I guess I'll I'll give you the, the first comment on the surprise in New Jersey as we still await the final results. What do you make of it? Well, I think Democrats are likely to say, well, it was local issues and Republicans ran a, you know, a very good candidate and there should be no larger implications taken from this issue about what's going on with the Democratic Party. I think they face a couple of big problems. One, uh, looking at those Virginia results and indeed there were local issues there. 
But there are always local issues. And looking at those results in New Jersey, Democrats are facing a very, maybe historically bad midterm election uh, a year from now, which which leads to another problem. If they don't want that election to be quite so bad, one, they need to get their act together and get these two bills passed. And my, And if I was a Democrat, I would be concerned that rather than take the lesson that uh, maybe voters aren't looking for radical change and get these bills passed, that some progressives will say, listen, we really need to dig in. We're not going to get another bite at this apple and push hard. And, and both these bills collapse. I think that is not uh, an impossible possibility uh, to happen. So I think Democrats have a lot of questions they need to answer tonight or this morning, and they need to do some self-reflection. What do you make, Jimmy, I know you said, of course, there were some local issues at play, as, as there always are, right, in an yes. election that is local. But are, are there things that were, yes, local issues, but also issues like taxes? I know that's a big deal here in New Jersey that some residents were taking issue with that then does have a bleed or effect into what's going on in the Senate and with the House of Representatives with this big bill that President Biden is trying to get through. Given what Joe Manchin has said very recently. Democrats need to do one of two things with these bills. One, they need to shrink them further, or they need to raise taxes more to pay for them. And I didn't see anything in these results in Virginia or New Jersey saying that Americans want a even more taxes than what, uh, than what Democrats have already proposed, which leads me to believe if Democrats want those bills to pass, they're going to have to get smaller. Joe Manchin said he's not going to fall for any of these gimmicks, which means they're probably going to have to cut more programs out of those bills. Uh, again, it doesn't seem to me like Americans are saying, oh, we want a dramatically larger tax burden, given the results we saw last night. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, living here in this area, a lot of the commercials, it seemed, were really focusing on Governor Phil Murphy's view on taxes and sort of taking one of his sound bites from an event. Of course, these are opposition commercials saying, look, if you don't like high taxes, maybe New Jersey isn't the place for you. Um, it just seemed like a message that was hammered home again and again. And Silvana was just talking about the possibility of removing this this salt cap um, limit, the ten thousand dollar limit on some of these states. I mean, is that really is that really in play as we talk about taxes here? <laughs> I, th I think it's a lot more in play now than it was uh, than yesterday? it was yesterday. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, they, you know, they need you know Democrats. They cannot lose, and that's what we saw in Virginia. They did very. They did much worse in the suburbs. Uh, they can they cannot lose those suburbs. They will get they will get just swamped a year from now. So uh, I think that, I think that uh, repealing repealing that cap, which is a which is a really a huge money loser, and is, and is again is a big tax cut for other upper income and wealthier Americans, which has not been the Democratic message for the past year. So I think you face a problem on what to do about these bills and more fundamentally, what is going to be the central Democratic message going forward if what they end up doing is giving giving tax cuts now to, to upper income Americans. This was supposed to be the you know inequality party. That doesn't seem like that's playing so well right now. Oh, gosh, it does seem like both parties have some work to do uh, to do. sort of shore themselves up, get a little stronger. We'll see what's to come. Jimmy P, stay close as we get these final results. Thanks, Courtney. Thank you very much.
Well, coming up, funding the key initiatives to combat climate change. Diana Olick is on the ground in Glasgow at the COP2016 summit with the key business leaders looking to put their money behind the plan. But first, as we had to break, some of your other top stories. Shares of Zillow taking a big hit this morning after announcing it's exiting from its home flipping business. The company says as a result of the move, it's also cutting 25% of its workforce shares down by 16.5%. And it's a similar story for shares of Freshworks, sinking in its first quarterly report, report since its IPO. While results for the software maker topped expectations, its revenue outlook for the full year was slightly lower than analysts expected. Those shares taking a big hit, down 13%. And the Department of Justice is suing to block Penguin Random House's more than $2 billion bid for rival Simon & Schuster. The DOJ saying the move would create a, quote, publishing behemoth in its decision to file the lawsuit. Worldwide Exchange is back in just a moment. Your grocery bill is about to get a bit higher. Mondelez expects to raise prices by 7% in the U.S. next year to offset rising inflation costs. The CEO of the snack maker telling CNBC he expects cost inflation to jump 6% in 2022 due to higher commodity prices and transportation shortages. While he notes the issues are global, they are especially pronounced in the United States. This comes as the cost of some of the main ingredients in Oreos and Ritz crackers are hovering at multi-year highs. Wheat futures rallying yesterday to the highest level in nine years before ultimately pulling back. Let's talk more about this now with Jack Scoville, vice president at the Price Futures Group and author of the firm's, quote, Morning Grains and Softs report. Thanks for joining us this morning, Jack. You know, this is just pretty mind-boggling to see some of these inflation numbers, the associated costs, and then ultimately the prices that consumers will pay after we had many, many years of very muted inflation, I guess just to put it mildly. What are you seeing right now in the market for things like wheat? Is this driven by fundamentals, supply and demand, or is this speculation in futures trading? Well, there's always some speculation in futures trading. That's It's just part of the game. <laughs> it's it's going to happen. And there is some speculation about the inflation. Uh, you know, you reference Mondelez here. A lot of other companies are talking about raising prices as well. And for the very same reasons. And those do have to do with supply and demand fundamentals. Uh, we've had kind of a perfect storm with the uh, world economies coming out of COVID. But uh, not everybody going back to work. So it's made it harder to uh, arrange some of the logistics. Uh, transportation especially is very difficult. Shipping uh, and uh, shipping is, and container shipping especially has gone just sky high over the last uh, several months. Uh, in many cases, it's doubled. So there's a huge increase in costs right there. And then when you look at uh, the production side, we've had um, uh, bad weather in many places around the world. Uh, we've had, we had problems with our wheat production last year due to drought. Uh, Canada had a massive problem with uh, uh, agricultural production due to drought out in, the, out in the Canadian prairies, and we did out in the Great Plains. Um, Brazil had a massive drought last year that mm -hmm. affected their production of corn and soy, especially corn, but also of soybeans. And then uh, places like Russia and Europe have had, have had weather issues as well that have really hurt production as well. So uh, sugar was lost in um, Brazil because of a freeze recently, and um, coffee was lost, it was lost because of the freeze as well. 
So just uh, all sorts of weather events, some very extreme weather events have really caused uh, production to drop in many key commodities around the world as well. Yeah, and, and speaking of coffee, I, I was speaking with one CEO, it's been several months now, and he said that he learned about the coffee situation largely because of the weather first in Brazil, the, the poor weather, and then that he believed that the next largest producer of coffee in the world was Vietnam, but then Vietnam's ports were all sorts of backed up because of the bag lug from the ports in China, so then it was getting even harder to export the coffee that Vietnam was growing. Is, and is that still going on? Oh, yeah, it still is. Okay. Uh, there's, a, you know, the Brazil shipments are are down uh, monthly ship. You know, the monthly totals are down on a year to year basis, uh, pretty significantly, as a matter of fact. And uh, there's been problems uh, sourcing coffee from Vietnam. And uh, those problems are expected to continue. Uh, they've had a new COVID outbreak there that's uh, really uh, forced the government to put the clamps on the population. So that'll hurt uh, processing and, and worker capability. And then uh, the logistics issue of the shipping has really become a thing as well. Uh, a lot of containers are bottled up in China uh, and uh, are just sitting there waiting, to, waiting for exports from China to uh, get out into the marketplace again mm -hmm. and uh, as you as uh, you know with China ports kind of backed up some of it spilled down to Vietnam and that's created problems down there as well so it's just been um, getting this all sorted out and getting the world back operating again has turned out to be a much bigger task than I think anybody imagined. Exactly. I, I believe that it's sort of shown us some weaknesses that maybe were covered up before by the fact that things were more in equilibrium. And then all of a sudden you see demand surges or supply dry up, put them both together at the same time. And it's like our infrastructure has no clothes. All of a sudden we see all the cracks and crevices beneath the surface. Jack Scoville, thank you very much for joining us here today. My pleasure. Well, on deck, stocks in a holding pattern as investors await the Fed's latest policy decision. Katie Stockton lays out what you need to watch in the trading day ahead. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Or maybe the show is so great, you just need to listen again. We'll be right back. Welcome back and back to the markets and your money. Take a look at futures here pointing to a mixed open, but just slightly so on either end of that flat line. If we were to open here, the S&P 500 is down just a point. Dow Jones Industrials off about 12 points and the Nasdaq higher by 16. Investors are gearing up for the Fed to wrap up its latest policy meeting and shed some fresh light on that tapering timeline we've been speculating about. Joining us now is Katie Stockton, founder and managing partner at Fairlead Strategies. Katie, it's so great to see you. I know you look at things from a technical analysis. What are the charts telling you that the market is expecting in regards to the Fed? We have pretty widespread breakouts in the U.S. indices. In fact, the Russell 2000 index, for one, I know it's been very topical of the last couple of days because it's really run up to new all-time highs. And with that, it has the potential to confirm a breakout from a long-term trading range. So that's what everybody's talking about on the technical front. But also, we had already breakouts in the S&P 500, the NASDAQ 100, the Dow Industrials. And breakouts have been working really well in this tape, meaning that they tend to see pretty immediate upside follow through. So with that, we are bullish here in the short term. We also are in this period that has 
positive seasonal influences, usually that they carry the market through almost all the way to year end, typically. So we have a very positive setup coming into today's meeting. Very interesting. Uh, What sectors are indicated to continue with strength going forward when it seemed like for a while almost everything was working? Is that going to be the case or do we need to be more discerning, as I discussed with the guests earlier in the show, in your opinion? I think we have to differentiate between market participation or breadth and market leadership. The breadth has been really very strong behind the market. I think that would surprise some folks, but you can see that even with that Russell 2000 index potentially breaking out, that's a very broad index. That means a lot of stocks are going up on up days. It doesn't necessarily mean that all of these stocks are exhibiting upside leadership. However, the leadership is where you're getting that relative performance, and that's what we try to evaluate every day on the sector front. We currently are overweight technology, consumer discretionary, and financials with the assumption that 10-year treasury yields will resume higher in the next week or two. So to us, those are the leading sectors. That's where it will be probably easiest to find the breakouts that are actionable from a bottom-up perspective. But it doesn't mean that you won't get that broad participation, and that should make it a little bit easier to take advantage of this up move. I know that that some of the um, investor sentiment indicators were showing a little bit of weakness, where at least some some of the market participants were not feeling as positive, perhaps, as they have in the past going forward into the end of the year. Are, are you seeing any of that play out beyond just the consumer sentiment charts or, at all? You know, it's funny. My sentiment gauges are really very much neutral, which is somewhat surprising with the major indices at new highs. Typically, you'd have at least some kind of overbought indication from them. And we just don't have that at this time. My my sentiment gauges are things like the CBOE volatility index, the VIX. Right. VIX has been range bound for some time. And while it's near its lows, it doesn't have any indication that a volatility spike is imminent. So I'd say, if anything, sentiment data from a technical perspective is more conducive to upside than not. However, we do think that sentiment will likely become an issue if we do see that upside follow through, setting us up for some kind of corrective price action that would be more significant in Q1. We also have some indications on our long-term charts that a comparison to late 2007 may be fair for the S&P 500. And if you recall, 2018 was somewhat of a difficult year, more range bound, but with a lot of volatility. Wow. Very interesting. So we could see some some bullish momentum going into year end, but watch out for the first quarter. That's right. Well, thank you very much, Katie Stockton, for walking us through all of that. Thank you. Well, now to Glasgow, Scotland, and a meeting of the minds amid the COP26 summit. CEOs of some of the largest global companies meeting this morning as part of Bill Gates's breakthrough energy venture aimed at getting the planet to net zero. Diana Olick is, was in the meeting and joins us now with more. She rushed out for us. Diana, what did Bill Gates have to say about the big oil company's role in all of this? A lot of fingers pointed in their direction. Well, basically, he was saying that big oil companies, you know, you can say it's one thing that they should all divest and and that big oil companies should go away and it should all be clean energy. But he said that would be, quote, nutty. He said you really want to keep the big oil companies there to transition to clean energy. But this meeting today was really incredibly unique. You know, the, the world leaders left yesterday and the venture capital in this building right now just 
cannot be underestimated. It's in the trillions. We had two meetings this morning. One was with Bill Gates and John Doerr of Kleiner Perkins. These were two men who were on the very edge of the tech boom, of course. And I asked them, I said, you are now on the edge of the climate boom. Where are you? An interesting Don Dorr said, we are at an inflection point. The number of ventures has gone from hundreds to thousands. There are thousands of climate unicorns. And he said investors will stop at nothing to copy the success of other investors. Bill Gates talked about raising a billion dollars this year in his venture fund for clean energy technology. He said he called 25 people. 18 of them said yes. And he said, and I was asking them each for $50 million. So they expect to just increase the size exponentially of the money that they're putting toward these ventures. John Doerr said climate tech is the greatest economic development of our lifetime. And the second part of the meeting, which was really interesting, was with these seven companies, which they're calling Catalyst. This is going to be a public-private partnership between some of the biggest companies globally. That is Bank of America. Brian Moynihan is in there right now. We were speaking with him. Uh, and he talked a lot about financial risk. I'll get to that in a second. But it was also about bringing down that green premium. American Airlines is involved in this. BlackRock Foundation, General Motors and, of course, Microsoft. So, Courtney, a lot of talk in there about bringing down risk, about money coming in, and how do you get all of this money to the right places, especially when you're in that kind of public-private partnership, Courtney? Right, exactly. And, and you teased us a little bit there with uh, Brian Moynihan of, of Bank of America and the risk. So how does he consider risk when he's investing in these smaller ventures? Well, he says, you know, you're looking at your clients and they have a certain commitment to going net zero and you have that expectation. But you also have the green premium. That is how much more it costs to go green. So he said by investing in these companies, you bring down that green premium. And that's why he wants to get in there with this public-private partnership. But again, he said the risk is substantial and it has to be considered when you're making these deals. But again, he said bringing down that green premium will, of course, lower the risks for the banks, Courtney. And so because of that public-private partnership, I mean, it just feels like you can't really depend on the government necessarily to, to pass these things and to get the money that they need for these investments. So how does this move forward? Well, Bill Gates actually said, I asked him that question, and he said, based on the bill in Congress right now, he said this catalyst program, this public-private partnership, will be substantially lower if that bill in Congress doesn't pass. That is $555 billion going toward climate technologies, climate investments in the U.S. He said that they already have a relationship with the U.K. and the E.U., and he said that is based on money already budgeted. So basically, Bill Gates was saying the U.S. is not dependable when it comes to this kind of venture, the public-private venture, right. with these companies, but he is very hopeful that it will get there. This is all fascinating. Diana, thank you very much for being there and for bringing that to us, popping out of that meeting to give us the latest. Well, let's give you a quick check on futures here as we move ever closer to that opening bell. Things are still mixed. Dow Jones Industrial Average down by almost 15 points. The Nasdaq higher by that same amount and the S&P 500 down just a bit. That does it for us on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is up next.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.